Hebrews chapter 10. As we just, uh, as we just have finished up chapter 9, um, recognize and coming out of the last part of that, the greatness of, of Christ's sacrifice. Um, going to start with chapter 10. It's going to see here, um, as we look at this particular section of verses 1 through 18, that Christ's sacrifice was perfectly sufficient for all. He's going to, the writer's going to contrast these sacrifices and we're going to see as he depicts in some of the things we've talked about in previous chapters of Hebrews that he brings out. Um, some of that I think will be a little bit of a refresher, but things that we've, we've discussed, um, especially as we talk about uh, some of the shadow and the copies, uh, image, we, we talked a little bit about that. And so, as we look and we get started here in, in chapter 10, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. There's a lot that he says in that verse. I'm going to try to pull a little bit of that out. Um, when we think about this, um, he says that the law having a shadow. We talked a little bit about a shadow. We talked a little bit about a copy. When you think about a shadow, what comes to your mind? The silhouette. What else? Okay, lacking detail. Not original. Okay. Anything else? Representative. A representative, okay? When you think about a shadow and you think about uh, uh, that comparison, an image that would represent the real, the Im an image that would represent the real. Um, and when we think about that, it says the law having a shadow of the good things to come. Could the shadow... When we think about the, the first compared to the second, we talk about the first covenant, the second covenant. Could the first covenant provide a view of the good things to come? What do you think? It was a, uh, it, it was a, it wasn't meant to be permanent. It was meant to be temporary always. Okay, I'm not sure your microphone's on there, Leanne. Okay. Uh, okay. What else? What do you think about that? Could that, could that copy, could that shadow provide an image of those things that were Again, good things to come. 
quite a few, but not a complete few. Okay. When you think about the law and you think about those who tried to follow it, those that served that law, we think about, uh, and, I, and, I've, and I've thought a lot about that in this study, what, other than the fact that God expected them to keep the law, expected them to follow the law, to be obedient to the law, what was there as we, and again, I think as this reader brings this out in, in Hebrews, what was it that would keep them, and, and what is he trying to do right now with these people in Hebrews, what would make them want to yearn or desire, continue to serve fervently that law? I'm sorry? Okay, they were used to it. I think when we, when I, when, when he brings out here in verse one, that, and not the very image of the things can never with the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those approach perfect. Verse two, he, would, he says, and then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more conscience of sin. So if, if the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things, but says can never with the same sacrifices. What would he mean by that? We talk about the same sacrifices. It wasn't a satisfying um, gift for God it, it, that only the blood of Christ was satisfying. Okay, that's, 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 part, of, that's part of what I'm, I'm looking at here. But I think when we think about this, the sacrifices under the old covenant could not do what? I heard some things, but I didn't hear. Okay, it couldn't permanently wipe away sin. It reminded them of what? Because of the way that the old covenant was set up and the way it was designed, it couldn't purge their sins. So did they forget about them? Okay, they were constantly reminded of those things. I think about when you've, you know, for these individuals who are now Christians to embrace a new law, to embrace the new covenant, and to think about their sins being remitted, their sins being forgiven, where before they were, you know, and, and people have used different terms through the years and, and through the ages to refer to that process, that Old Testament, that, that Old Covenant, First Covenant process of either being covered, of, of either being rolled forward. But what, what happens, what's in your mind when you would think about that no longer being the case? That those sins, those sins 
Because he says in verse 2, for, for then would they not have ceased to be offered if, what? Verse, last part of verse 1, they could make those who approach perfect. They couldn't do that. And here was the opportunity for that to happen. Because it was not possible, as Leanne brought out, and as we look, I'll skip to verse 4. It was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. I think it's, it's, I think it's amazing. Again, this writer is trying to do everything in his power. I think as he brings out the contrast, again, as we look at this, this the sacrifices that are contrasted, the Levitical system was not sufficient. Not the image, but the shadow. Not the image. We couldn't see it. Here's a shadow, but the shadow. You know, when you think about a shadow, you, you walk out and the light hits you and you see yourself, but that's not you. Or you see it from a building or you see it from a house. You see something where the, the sun and, the, and, and what, it, what it represents based on the way that light hits it. And I think it's, it's the thing that we need to keep in mind and what he's telling these readers, these listeners to keep in mind is the fact that this old covenant was a, was a shadow, a copy. You need to be looking forward, need to be looking ahead so that you can have those things and recognize those things that are of good things to come. I think when we think about this particular, this particular section, um, Christ's death fulfilled God's will. Uh, when we, again, looking at the contrast, the sacrifice is contrasted. If we see that the Levitical system was not sufficient, then we look at, again, beginning with verse 5, therefore, when he came into the world... And what do we see here? Psalms 40. So he looks and references Psalms 40. When he come into the world, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. And as we think about this and we think about what is, is, has, is brought out here in this particular, uh, as, as we look at this reference from the, old, from the Old Testament, again, he brings out, if I have time, I'll, I'll share that at the end. Again, of those things, I've, I've tried to present a slide that shows the quotations from each chapter. But here again, as he starts here with, with Psalm, Psalm 40, um, Christ came to do his Father's will and take away the sins of the world with his own blood. I think when we see in verse 8, previously saying sacrifice, offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. Again, as he kind of a summation of what we just read there from Psalms, uh, from Psalms 40, I think he brings out the fact that Christ satisfied all the requirements of the law and fulfilling it. 
He removed the first covenant and established the second one. He said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Verse 9. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Again, as we consider these the contrasts that exist between the old Levitical system and Christ. You know, two different priesthood that we see here. Verse 10, by, by that will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now that sin has been sufficiently purged, man can be sanctified to purify, be set apart, renewing of the soul so that he can now do what? As we see the latter part of this, that he can draw near, he takes part away the first, that he may establish the second, Verse 10, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ for all. Verse 11, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Christ's death perfects the sanctified. He perfects, as he's trying to say to these people, he, per he, he perfected in what he did in his sacrifice, perfected you as he says to these, to these listeners, to these Hebrew Christians. He says Christ was able to do that with his death, burial, resurrection. His sacrifice provided that, was perfectly sufficient to take away sin so that it was done once and for all and for all past, present, and future generations. As he looks in, and, and I think he gets here, I'm going to just kind of want you to think about this for just a second. When you think about the Levitical priesthood versus Christ's priesthood, under the Levitical system, it, back in, in, here in verse 11, think about that system and how that operated. The priests stand daily ministering to the people, ministering, continually offering but never takes away sin. Christ's priesthood, he offered himself one time. Sins were forgiven for all time. And when we think about that, even those individuals who, as we think about remembering those sins for a day of atonement on a yearly basis, where that priest would go in and make sacrifice for, the, for himself and for the people, but never took away that sin. Christ died, and when that, when he made his sacrifice, those sins were forgiven for all time. Then he sat down at the right hand of God. I think it's interesting when you think about that, and I, and I was, was thinking about that too, when, think about work that needs to be done. You know, m many of us, there's not, you know, we, we may have jobs where we sit and, you know, we sit at a computer and we do things, but a lot of times we have jobs where we're up moving. And we're having to do things from being, standing aright. And you think about these priests, and it, it's, that's what it brings out here in verse 11. Every priest stands ministering daily. And I'm going to go, what do we see? When we think about these two verses, what do you see in contrast here? He stands, but what did Christ do? He sat down. 
His work was done. Think of all he went through, but he sat down at the right hand of God. These priests have to stand. They're continually working. This is something that never ends. What else do we see? Continually offering. They continually offer these sacrifices. But for Christ, those sins, he offered at one time. And then what happened? Never takes away the sin of Levitical priesthood, Christ's priesthood. You know, think about the priesthood. Priesthood had to change. The law had to change. If, 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 it, if that had not have happened, we couldn't have had Christ. We couldn't have had Christ as our priest. Because Christ, that law had to change so that this new law, this new covenant could be introduced. This new covenant could come to fruition. I just think that's interesting when you think about those two. And he brings that out to these, to these listeners. He wants them to understand this. Which do you want? I mean, do you think he says that at times maybe? What do you want? Look at what you had and you're wanting to go back to that. You're, you, you, some of you are yearning to go back to that. But look what you have now. There's no comparison. But he says in verse 12, but after this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, awaiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By one offering, he is perfecting forever those who are being sanctified. Those who are being set apart. His enemies are completely subdued because of his new position. He sits at the right hand of God. And I think what he, this, the, the, the writer here, the Holy Spirit, all soul witnesses. You know, again, as he brings this out, as we see here in verses 11 through 14, but then he goes and he says, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after that, he said before, and again, we've heard this before, Jeremiah 31, 31, back in, back in, Acts, or in Hebrews chapter 8, Jeremiah 31, what does he say here? But the Holy Spirit also witnesses for us that after he said before, this is the covenant, verse 16, that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, in their minds I will write them. And he adds their sins, their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sins. Again, think something very beautiful that he tries to bring out. This, this writer tries to bring out that he tries to finalize, I believe, their confidence in Christ and the forgiveness of sin by reminding them of Jeremiah's prophecy. That's this is to me it's enriched, it's inspired word of God. Here's the Holy Spirit again, Jeremiah writing through the through through the inspiration of God, prophecy of God's promise of a new covenant which was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, I think as we see in verse 18. When sin's completely forgiven, there's no need for any more sacrifices. That's what he, I think, is trying to bring out to, to these listeners, to these Hebrew Christians, again, who are under persecution, who are under the thought process of potentially 
going back into Judaism, going back to the old law, thinking of that and thinking about it from a standpoint of now, he says, think about that from the standpoint of the life that you live, the where you are right now. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit more here. I'm going to stop for just a second. Any comments or questions? Yes, Alan. Uh, just going back to verse five. Verse five is a <clears throat> is a really interesting verse. You know, um, sacrifices, offerings you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. If if we're to flip back to Psalm 40 in our Bibles, most of us would see that's not what it says in our Bibles. It, it says, but but you've given me ears or some version of that because right. that's. And, and there's, I think there's a real reason for that. You know, when David spoke those words, even David being under the law was saying, you don't really want the sacrifices. You gave me ears. You want me to listen to you and do what you say, not just continually be offering sacrifices when I don't listen to you. And here the Hebrew writer, he, he quotes the Greek translation, which takes that you've given me ears more literally to that full extent, you've given me ears and everything that came with it, a whole body, which really can only apply to Jesus, that you've not been pleased with these sacrifices, but you made a body for me to be sacrificed. And so it's really a, a fascinating where you get both meanings there. And, you know, David's original meaning still holds for us, anyone that would want to go back to sacrifices, that, no, 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 God wants us to listen to him and to do his will. And then for Jesus, no, he made him a literal body to be sacrificed. Is is just a, it's one of the many examples in scripture where you see the mind of the spirit, the mind of God just being wildly beyond us, speaking in multiple ways that are both true. And then there's a lot to take away from that. It's just, it's a really powerful verse there. Absolutely. Appreciate that, Alan. Any other comments? Any other questions? Anything? Yes, Leanne. Leanne, Jason. <clears throat> I just wanted to say um, this is a beautiful thing for us to remember that, um, you know, these people, all they wanted was forgiveness of their sins. They wanted to be pure and holy and righteous in God's eyes. And the old law didn't really allow you to have that connection with, with God like we have today. And through Jesus' blood and sacrifice, we are able to go to him in prayer at times of needs or times to repent. And we're able to say, I'm sorry. I, I repent and change our lives and be forgiven. That is such a blessing because that's all the people in the Old Testament wanted. And they really didn't get that. Okay. Anything else? Bill. Um, maybe, maybe I missed it, but like I think that there is maybe just, maybe just put in my own words, but there is forgiveness in the old law. You could get your sins forgiven through um, Leviticus chapter four. Um, all of the sacrifices, like at the end, it says the priest will make atonement for him and he will be forgiven. So you, it's not that you couldn't get. Um, your sin's forgiven. I think the difference really is, is in the sacrifice. If we were still under the old law, you could have a right relationship with God, 
but it would be over and over and over a, a sheep or a, or a bird or a bull. But now we have continual access. We have a sacrifice that was done once for us. So we can go to before the throne of God uh, immediately. And that's what makes Jesus's, Jesus's um, sacrifice better in my mind. It, I don't think it's, uh, I wouldn't want to say the Israelites could could not have forgiveness. You know what I mean? Because yes. I, I think in the in the Levitical law they could, but it was it was different then than it is now. Does that make sense? It does. What I'm saying? Yeah. And if they'd have died in their sins, if they'd have died. Yeah. I mean, the Day of Atonement. I mean, I really think that they're sorry. I yeah. guess, the Day of Atonement. There, there's there's a taking away. I mean, in the in the sacrifices in the old law, there is statements you do this and your sins are forgiven now there is a sense of where that is incomplete why is it incomplete because you have to do it over and over and that animal is not really giving up anything and that's why it's 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 incomplete and that's to me the contrast that's what makes jesus is better is it happens once a complete person completely fulfilled the old law uh, is able to continually petition God on our behalf and, 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 and have the ability to have forgiveness of sins in a, in a continual way, not something that we, oh, I messed up, now I have to go back and forth and back and forth. So, so, so you, you, you grasp that as their sins were forgiven. Yeah. Complete, that, that's completely forgiven. Yeah, because in Leviticus 4, it, it says that their sins were forgiven after their, their sacrifice is complete. Okay. I don't know how, I mean, somebody else could help me. I don't know how else to interpret the conclusion of the sacrifices that's described in, in Leviticus 4. Yes. Kerry Lewis, Jason. When you look at Hebrews 10:4, the forgiveness under the old law was not through the sacrifice of bulls and goats and animals. The forgiveness was given because of the certainty of Christ's death. Correct. That was all a part of God's plan from the very beginning. So that's where the forgiveness came in because God knew that the sacrifice of Christ was a done deal. Okay. You agree with that, Bill? Okay. Any other comments? Yes. But didn't those people in the Old, Old Testament and the Leviticus time have to know that their sins were forgiven? I mean, didn't they need that assurance to continue to look to God for as their leader, as their, say, you know, as their king? Yes. You know, so th there had to be some assurance, even though they were remembered each year, there has to be some assurance for them to continue on that road. Even though it was something they knew, they, there had to be some assurance given to them. See, and, that, and that's why when I brought out what I did in verse 1, when I asked initially, as we opened up this chapter, and we think about what he said to them, with regard to the law and the law, he said, being a shadow of the good things to come. What were the good things to come? 
They didn't have those good things. They didn't have that yet. In my perspective, they didn't have that. And I think that, that to me, Bill, I see your point, and I, and I agree with you. My, my thing is, I feel like those, what, what are these individuals right now that are wanting to think back to that old time frame? Why are they doing that? Again, I think it's because, as Sherry brought up, they're comfortable with that. They remember that. That's in, in, instilled in them. That's part of where they came from. And now to be introduced to this new system, you know, they see, and I think, look at all the, look at all the, the writer, you know, if it's, this is Paul, look at all the things that the writer brings out and where he goes to bring his evidentiary substance, to bring his substance to these people to say to themselves, that's what he's after. That's what he's after for us. When he says these things and he brings up this, this, this evidence, he brings up from the, again, as we looked at Jeremiah, we looked at Psalms 40, we looked at Jeremiah 31. Why does he keep doing that? Because that's what they're familiar with. That's something they can relate to that comes to heart. And that's where I think, again, that's where I think it's, they didn't have those good things. They didn't have that, but it was coming. It was going to come to fruition. And once that, now, as, as he writes to these people, they have that. Embrace it. I mean, we're going to see that at the end of the chapter. Don't draw away from this. Embrace this. Bill? Well, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think to go back to what Ms. Debbie said. At the same time, they, they still had to have the ability to have a right relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, right relationship with God, right. which required forgiveness of sins. Yes. That's my only, yeah. my only point. Okay. <clears throat> yes, Al. The key point that's made often in Scripture is that the righteous live by faith. And that is a reality throughout man's time on earth. And faith comes by hearing and hearing from what God's word is. And at different times, different people have received different words from God about what would be pleasing to them. Abraham received a certain word and showed faith. The children of Israel received the law. They received words from God and their faith in that. And, I, you know, bringing together, I think, a lot of the comments, Jesus' sacrifice ultimately is that cleansing power yes. and gives us the ability to be saved when we have the faith to heed God's word. And that's how this book starts, that long ago our fathers heard from God in many different ways, but now he speaks to us through his son. Do we have the faith to listen to that word today? Yes. Thank you. Anything else? So when we think about here in verses 19 through 25, look. Just real quick. Um, something I think of is, of course, a couple of things. Uh, on verse 1, mine talks about the shadow, and then it says, but it's not the realities themselves. That kind of stands out for me. Um, but I think of the sacrifices, and I may be totally wrong with this, uh, the sacrifices of animals Animals are not perfect. They're not clean. They're not a whole lot of things. But they were what was required at that time. Mm -hmm. Christ walked this earth 
as a perfect one. He walked our steps. He dealt with the, the problems we deal with. He was faced with problems. Um, people constantly after him. You know, the things that we deal with on a daily basis. But he stood, stood to that. He was perfect. So he was the ultimate perfect sacrifice, which ended it all at that point. Whereas the animal sacrifices were not perfect. And that's kind of the distinguishing thing I see. They kind of had to be done over and over and over. But once he had walked this earth and he died for us, that was it. Because he was the perfect sacrifice. Yeah. And I think that gets back to what Alan brought out earlier um, in, the, in, the, in what he, he brought out with regard to um, the burnt offerings and sacrifices in, in looking at uh, Psalms 40. Uh, where God didn't have any pleasure in those things. He didn't have in, in burnt offerings and sacrifices. I have no pleasure. But, uh, you know, but when Jesus came about in his time frame, his priesthood, then that, that made everything perfect. That made it complete. Yes. Hey, Phil, just one aside comment. Verse 14, notice the phrase perfected for all time. So the blood of Christ perfected all men, and those men who are sanctified. Yes. Thank you. Anything else? Real quick, Phil. Um, I think it's important to understand, like, Hebrews 9.15. I'm not in here, so I don't know if you have gone over this already. Um, but Hebrews 9.15, uh, therefore, he's the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transmissions or transgressions committed under the first covenant, yes. so it's kind of that idea of the the blood of Christ flowing back to sure. cover those transgressions. Yes, and, those and I think that get, brings out what Bill brought out right. with regard. I mean, there's their sins being forgiven, but that did away with them. That abolished those sins, and and from back to when that started to where they were then and where and where we are now. Did I see another hand? Okay, so when we, when we as, as we think about this, this particular section, um, they have complete confidence and boldness in the ability to approach God because Christ has entered the most holy place for them through the veil of his own blood, through, through his own blood, through the veil by his own blood. And I think if we consider this and, and looking at this, he's exhorting them to greater diligence. He's, as, as I bring out here in this slide, there's a confidence now for them to draw near to God based on the cleansing through Christ, 19 verses 19 through, through 22. Greater diligence involves, um, and, and we see that, greater diligence is going to involve holding fast the confession of our hope in verse 23. Consider one another, stimulate to love and good works. When we think about verse 24, not forsaking the assembling together, verse 25, first part of verse 25, and encouraging and exhorting one another, verse 25, the latter part of that. When, when I think, when he says this to them, you know, he says, let us, you know, that's the first thing that I think we need to, as we think about this boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, when he says, let us, verse 22, draw near to a, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience from sin and our bodies washed in baptism with pure water. Let us hold fast. Let us. And I think when we see that, draw near to God with a sincere heart, this is knowing that they've been cleansed from sin, that knowing that they have the sincere heart. Having verse 23 then, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. We think about that hope. We think about, uh, you know, that the, they have that hope that they can believe with regard to the promises of heaven without being shaken or moved. And we think about hope. Hope is an anchor. Hope is something that creates stability, that, that creates something that's steadfast and locked in place. Having confidence in our hope, verse 24, not, and again, I think when we see this, let us. There's the word, the, the, that phrase, let us, let us, let us. And I think, again, when, when we consider, you know, this is bringing us together. This is a together a thought of those individuals being together. It's something that they can consider attentively to stir up when we think about that, for instance. The, the capabilities to stir up, to, in, to in, and as I looked at, to, to incite action um, one another, to love and good works. You know, when you think about this particular thought, you think about stirring up one another to love and good works. Um, since I've been in the eldership, one of the things that I hear John Grimmett talk to brethren about who place membership, and some of you who have sat when we've met with you probably can think about this. But, I, but, you know, one of the things he'll say is, you know, not everybody's a song leader. Not everybody can, maybe can lead prayer. Not everybody can teach a Bible class. But what is it this bring out that everybody can do? Anybody should be able to do this. What is that? What is that? Okay, build each other up. And what else here? And that's, it's, it's the same thing. To, to, to encourage one another. I mean, at a bare minimum, we can all encourage one another. And I think, again, that's what he brings out here. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. But not, it says, not forsaking, assembling ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much you see the day approaching. You think about that. If you look at the context, you know, what, when we think about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, I've heard some that use that, and, and I'm going to say mis, maybe misuse the word assembling to mean assembly with the Y, L-E-Y, L-L-Y, versus assembling ourselves together. What is, when we think about historically, what is historically the context of, of this, this particular setting? When we think about what it is that, why would they need to stir up, stir up one another to incite action? Why would they need to do that? They're under persecution from, from 
just their um, neighbors in general. So that's one of the reasons they needed to meet together and assemble. Another ne another reason is to make sure that their fellow Christians were okay and taken care of. Make sure that they had food, clothes, shelter, and your basics as well. Okay. And, and, I, and I think that's along the same line. I mean, I think either, you know, when we think about that, and, and I don't have any time to, to really develop that and go any farther with it because everybody's walking in the doors. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll take up and we'll try to finish this out Good morning, brother. next Lord's Day, Lord willing. Thank you.